0: Hey guys, and welcome back to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bercher, and this is episode 59, Our Versus Should Challenges. So I've been just talking to my buddy Paul Godola from uh, Curiosity Interview number one. I'm talking about this a little bit, and I realized that I may have, and it's sort of following up with episode 58, how there's a lot of people in the world that don't have the luxury of even considering the R versus should problem because their problems are more uh, related to living and dying. Uh, they're more literal uh, problems. And that, you know, to some degree, this is a white privilege problem and only, only available to people of some, some means. But I do think it's important to humankind. And like I said in episode 58, I do think the solutions to those real human problems are going to come... From being more are than and less should, and so it's a little bit. And, and so I don't want to oversimplify that process. One of my biggest pet peeves with the the self help and sort of self improvement and healing from trauma and all that sort of stuff is that it often sounds so oversimplified. And now I do think a lot of this work is fairly it's simple. You have to retrain your brain. and You have to address your issues, that's a pretty straightforward process, but it is by no means easy. And that's what I want to talk about today. So the challenges uh, inherent to being more r and less should or fighting against the bully and being yourself, why that is so difficult, and just a couple of um, generalizations about how it is so difficult, and then maybe some examples and, 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 and a little bit on the end about sort of where I think we can go with this. And so the point I'm trying to make is that, sure, it's all well and good that we say we need to live more in our R, and that we've becoming we're becoming too shitty and that the world's problems are sort of created in this world where everybody's not being themselves and not realizing their DNA and not developing their uniqueness and making that contribution to the world, but instead we're living in this world of the shoulds where we're all sort of becoming. Uh, less diverse and more the same and more similar. And living in the should world is sort of suppressing our personal development. But fighting against those bar- th- and those barriers are very strong. And it's not like we can just become aware of it and go, oh, well, I'm going to be different tomorrow. Forget that. Why was I doing all that stuff? It is not easy. It's just like breaking a habit. And like in episode 26, I, I talk about this a lot, about how there's these the the continual be- well we know what habits are you you continue a behavior and you reinforce it and then it just becomes automatic and you don't ever think about it anymore but as you continue to do those behaviors over and over it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and that's where we are now is the should part of being human has become so overpowering that many of us have have forgotten to ask the question of of who we are right? and and just assume that we are the result of this domestication process. So I'll go through sort of a couple of, I don't know if they're examples or just sort of ways that this is so challenging. So I'm going to go through a couple of different ways that describe these challenges. And the first one I'll come up with is, first of all, in our childhood we are born and the challenge is that we don't have the capacity to understand what's happening to us. It's almost as if we are being manipulated against our will. We don't have free will. We don't make a choice about the family that we're born into or that the, the people that take care of us our first few years of life. And what we're exposed to is so far out of our ability to comprehend, but the, we are still learning and we are taught things un, unconsciously, subconsciously that become parts of us that influence our should, you know. And now maybe, and this is the flip side of that, maybe we're lucky enough to where uh, we are nurtured and cared for and uh, people encourage us to develop our personalities, you know, and we have some freedoms to sort of express ourselves. Um, sort of, you know, I don't know what that even looks like because, We don't do a whole lot in our first year of life. But, you know, when we start walking, we start deciding what we like, there are definitely differing ways that people can interact with us. These interactions can be uh, very shitty, very should bully-y. Don't touch. Don't put your hand in the cookie jar. No, no, no. Don't do that. That kind of behavior, uh, it's it's all about delivery. It's all about uh, – well – It's about the relationship between the delivery of the instruction or the teaching and the reception of the teaching. And it goes back to something that's going to become a big issue is our ability to communicate what we mean and then also to have our messages interpreted correctly. There's all kinds of room for that to be messed up when you're talking about an eight-year-old and a stressed-out parent, right? So things can happen before our awareness is even ready to, to, to be able to make a decision or even filter it, right? That's a unique period of a human's life because at some point we develop we develop free will and then it becomes a matter of um interactions usually with our immediate family and our caregivers we're not usually yet in public school maybe we're in daycare or something like that you know the adults and young people that we interact with between like ages 1 or 2 and 4 or 5 are going to be kind of unique in their own right uh, because this is when you know now we're not learning to to, to get our basic needs met to eat and 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 sleep and walk and bathe. but now we're learning to communicate with other individuals. we're developing belief systems about things that are appropriate and not appropriate to do uh, with our behaviors. don't throw a fit in Walmart because you're gonna get punished and so that and punishment becomes a part of that um, sort of like what 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 rules? Um, to manage our sort of outright expression of our energies and personalities are going to be placed upon us. Those are all the shoulds. You should do this. You should not do that. And again, the degree to which our personalities are allowed to develop is going to be dependent upon our, our interactions with the people in our environment. And, our, and different personality children are gonna react better or worse to different personality adults, and that that mission. There's no way to do that right or wrong, or necessarily wrong because what's right for one kid and wrong for another parent, or right for one parent and wrong for one kid, or right and or however that matchup is, it's impossible to predict. Right. So above all of this is the whole idea that we're not blaming anyone for the domestication process. It just ha- now and in some cases. Traumatic situations, we probably are blaming, but in general, it's just it's just what happens. But but being able to understand who we are and when these well, what become habits, like episode twenty six, old beliefs like episode nine, what becomes our habit and our old beliefs really start to get going uh, as we're sort of children and toddlers and, um, and that age age period. And so, besides that, the, 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 and that's sort of straightforward, right? Our parents, guardians, the people around us immediately in our lives when we're young sort of teach us the general do's and don'ts about going through your daily routine. You know, we've learned how to eat, we've learned how to go to, we're learning how to go to the bathroom. Now we can learn how to put on clothes, how we should behave in public, how we should assess people when we meet them, stranger danger. All all of these types of things come into play. The next phase, or the next sort of unique layer that's added to the "are" and "should" situation are when are those types of guardians and protectors, hopefully they're protectors, and in, in some cases, your parents didn't protect you and, and, and that opens up a whole lot of other should situations. but when our protectors are not around, when supervising adults aren't around, when we're around more of our peers, other children or immature individuals that that don't understand the delicate nature of a five six seven eight year old now um, we are we are subject to novel interactions. And oftentimes, these novel interactions can be scary, maybe even dangerous. And whether or not they're dangerous, they can still be traumatic. You know, uh, hearing a loud car wreck outside your house when nobody's around to explain it to you when you're six years old could be traumatic and render you terrified of loud noises for the rest of your life. Right. That's just something that that, that can happen. And so... The things that happen to us and the degree to which our fears and misunderstanding of those occurrences are left unresolved, well, is another mechanism of our versus should that isn't necessarily pressure from the should realm. And I talk about this in episode twelve of fear, and in episode twenty-one, we all feel different, but we're all the same. We 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 have unique a unique set of occurrences that happen to us when we're young when we're naive, when we're uh, very easily influenced, and we don't we don't have the tools to navigate the world. But what happens, we have to do something to alleviate the fear or the negativity that, that rises in those situations. We don't have any of our protectors around to, to help us understand it. And so we make decisions in the moment. And those decisions that we make in the moment are essentially shoulds. You should be acting like this. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be scared... Whatever it is, um, it's not. we generally don't rely on our ours, our ours, <laughs> right? We don't generally say, how do I feel about this? We don't have the maturity to do that yet. The only thing we have is, well, what have the other adults in our lives told us in the past? What observations have we made that will help us deal with this? Because I need a mature person's input here, but I can't find it, right? So those kind of things can be exceptionally dangerous and they're crazy impossible to predict and they're the kind of things that we work through myself personally you know to a t as adults in therapy if we really want to figure out you know how to change sometimes those types of occurrences can be incredibly strong shoulds that will be with us for the rest of our lives that we can't that, that just arise natural, right okay then the next sort of thing that I sort of alluded to is the idea of your, your immediate peers. And sometimes in your life, you will be around people that are not your protectors, but there are other people like the people you're in school with or your teammates or people on the bus or whatever it is. And these can go be all over the place depending on the differential between the realities of the, the peers in a group right and I, and I talked a little bit about this in episode two with individuals and communities because you know you you bring to that bus seat your personal background and your understanding of the world is very limited the person sitting next to you could have a completely different set of norms and shoulds and, and rules and all these other things and what they're exposed to at home you know it's a classic case of i always say that no matter what you teach your kids at home as soon as they go to public school they're going to be influenced by the lowest common denominator. So if you've got a kid and you want to teach it to say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and politely talk to adults, but they go to school with somebody that has a terrible... Household and their parents aren't around, and maybe they're raised by an, uh, an uncle that barely knows what to do with the kids, and 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 you know is in a very hostile household, and is going to be screaming no and doing things. Your child's going to be exposed to that, and and, and could potentially mirror those behaviors and bring that home. And all of a sudden, your little angel at home is saying things that you don't know where what happened, right? Well, that's completely normal because we are influenced very differently. By our peers because we mirror those those people to a, 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 a greater degree than we do people that are, are older or maybe even extremely younger than us. And these interactions with our peers can be also like the, the bully thing, right? Kids can be so mean. And I don't think we're prepared for that. Not every c- c- child is prepared, for the reality of the bad, the the scary part of the world, right? When they go to kindergarten. A lot of kids have been sheltered, babied, protected at home. You know, my parents were exceptionally introverted, didn't really have a whole lot of friends. I didn't really have a whole lot of interaction with anyone else except my immediate family. I was a very naive kid. I'm not saying there's cause and effect to the introverted parents in my naivety. That could have been completely natural. But I feel like I was blindsided in kindergarten, first, second grade by the, just what happens in the world because I had no idea. And that lack of knowledge induces a suite of different responses. And your, my reactions, your reactions to novel situations can only be understood with whatever tools and equipment you carry with you and that's based on what you've learned in the past. And so your societal domestication or your familial domestication to prepare you for society, you know whether or not that matches up with the situations that arise in your life is going to greatly define how, how it all goes down. And I think the more dissonance a person experiences in this period you know these, this period of their lives, uh, especially with their peers because, again, they all experience vastly different things and bring to those conversations dramatically different um, beliefs and habits and and, sh- and shoulds. Um, how that fits together is going to be completely unpredictable and, and, and really dependent upon the difference between all of that and how sort of, um, <laughs> dare I say, normalized a group of kids are. And so there's no way to predict that. Uh, And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I'm not sure what you even would do about that except to be available to young people to talk about these things. Now I didn't want to talk about anything. So it's just as much on me. Everybody in my family could have asked me every day to talk about whatever happened that day, but I didn't want to talk about it. So I'm, I'm not sure how you do that, but that is a mechanism of shoulding shoulds coming into existence in a person's life. And When you learn, my point is, when you learn something in the process of experiencing trauma, when you are reacting in a fear state of mind and you develop whatever strategy in the moment makes that fear go away, you're going to hold on to that. Like it was uh uh you know life giving nectar itself, right because it whatever you figured out in the moment helped you get through that situation and and you didn't know any better you're kind of like, thank God something worked uh what well, maybe that's you decided to run and you ran away, and you were safe and you oh, cool i got a strategy now i'm the runner okay and then and then and then you do that the next time and the next time and then you become a runner and then that becomes incorporated into your should and you should always run from danger and you should never fight back see what i'm saying maybe that example makes a little more sense but i want to i want to my, my purpose is to really kind of go through all the a bunch of different ways that ours and shoulds interact and where the shoulds come from Uh, And why it's so hard to get out of that ours. And so in that case, when you've got this habit that has protected you time and time again and has taken you from a state of fear to a state of safety, you're not just going to get rid of that. It's going to become your go-to habit. You don't question it. You don't think about it. You probably are not aware of the things that you do. I am, through a lot of therapy and work, and understand these things. And I can see now that my six year old self developed these amazing tools to protect my six year old self from danger. But my 49 year old self is no longer benefiting from those. In fact, it's hurtful now because it really wasn't the best solution. But I'm very happy that it, that it happened because I, I, I'm not dead or, or whatever. Um, so, why? Think about how hard it would be then. To let go of that belief, if you believe that you must run from every conflict because doing so protected you and you feel so strongly that the, you know, the reason you're alive is because you did that, you're not just going to stop doing it because you think it might be better, really have to work. There's a lot of work that goes into doing that and it's not easy. And then another, another thing is sort of like then it becomes mostly peer-related, but, but it's but it's your bigger set of peers. And nowadays it's worse than ever with the Internet, and it's the fear of missing out. Now you see the entire world. You see everybody you know, acting a certain way and being happy, and you immediately apply a whole new layer or filter system of shoulds onto yourself. Well, I should be have makeup like the Kardashians. I should have a body like this. I should have a job like this. I should have money like this. I should have a car like this man it was so much easier when we were kids and didn't have that sort of level of comparison but but that's another source of the shoulds and you think about what we know about social media and and seeing these things and sort of i guess you could kind of a subset of peer pressure um how difficult it is to resist and to and to tell yourself that no i don't have to do those things um, to be happy or to be a good person or whatever, even though we're constantly bombarded with um, images of perfection uh, and think that we should be perfect. it's But it doesn't make it any easier just to say, you know what? Um, I haven't bathed in a week and my clothes are old and I'm 40 pounds overweight and I got a bad haircut. But hey, I'm awesome. I mean, it ain't easy. So I talked about the shoulds being the bully and the bullies usually beat up on. The, the R's in this case, the sort of, the sort of naive, um, not weaklings, but sort of, um, um, what's the opposite of like violent people, like the pacifists, you know, ours are just more peaceful, right? It's easier to be, be taken advantage of by a bully. And we struggle between these two sort of extremes. And I think, you know, what I'm suggesting is that we should try to decrease the influence of the shoulds in our lives to open up space, to allow us to explore the R's because, Ultimately, the the bad part about this is not only are we taught these these shoulds that um, that bring problems in their own right, like we're sort of taught by social media to compare ourselves to others, right? That's bad. But that's just one side of it. The other side of it is the distraction and the time we spend living in the should world steals away, the growth that we could be doing in the R world. And so it's a double-edged sword that gets exponentially faster with every generation, right? Because the more time you spend in the should, the less time you have in the R. Greater the energy expenditures or the or the or the living space is on this side, the should side, the less it is on the R side. It's almost like it's twice the rate, right? Because you have these two opposing forces. And and, and then sort of another myth that maybe of all uh, coming out of all this, I want to diminish right away is that I personally don't believe very many people fully live in the R and I'm not suggesting that that's what we want to do. I'm just suggesting we try to take back some of our proprietary personality (laughs) and reduce the elements of the should parts of us that we've learned that's inhibiting that growth and creating problems for us, right? Let's sort through this because that's self-improvement, personal growth, more peace, and more happiness. And I don't even think that's the goal. I don't even think there's any kind of utopian fantasy where I literally think every person on the planet is spending 100% of their time in the R and there is no such thing as the should. I don't believe that. I think, you know, humans are humans, and we're going to continually have that. The idea is that you shoot for the R. You are aware of it. You make the space, uh, and you forgive yourself for the shoulds, and you realize what's happening, and you understand it for what it is. If I had to speculate, I would say, like, there are, there might be monks um, out there who are more in their R. There might be, you know, incredibly narcissistic celebrities who Feel like they're in there are uh, and they have no problems and they're on top of the world but I think as we see further and closer and closer into the different examples of celebrity you know um, um, fits and and personal loss and sort of uh, uh, I I don't really think that's true (laughs) you know it's hard for me to I have met people who have claimed that they they no longer um, suffer from uh, what other p- people say a lot I don't care what other people think and that's getting at this problem right they're basically saying no I don't listen to the shoulds anymore I am myself I do what I want to do da, 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 da. and and so there's probably certainly people out there who are less shitty and more hurry <laughs> uh, and what I, I'm i actually kind of thinking about doing I mentioned this before is doing an interview series about where people are in this process but I, I'm a little concerned that it might be really personal, and uh, you know that I, I think some of the people who uh, the, who claim to not be influenced by the shoulds are just um, not aware of it, and I don't necessarily want that to come out if they're not comfortable with that coming out. But anyway, maybe. So I don't believe in some utopian society that that, that can exist. I just think we're going to solve more problems. And have more peace. If we accept the challenge of trying to reduce the influence of outside pressure on our decisions about who we are and what we need and how we want to make decisions in our personal lives. And, you know in the context of the earth. Okay, well hopefully that illustrates what I consider to be some of the challenges and diminishes any idea that I that, that I would ever suggest that this is an easy process. And I look forward to talking more about this next week. I have a couple of ideas about where I want to go and uh, I'm eager to get to it. And I will talk to you next week in episode 60. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Episode fifty nine, our versus should challenges. I'm Chris Bercher. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.